Well, good morning, Hope Community Church. How are we doing today? You guys awake? Good to see you. I want to welcome everybody that is watching online. A special shout out to the Concord, New Hampshire campus. I love you guys. Thank you so much for watching this morning. Well, as a uh, Pastor Skip said there, um, I grew up in this church. I started attending this church when I was five years old. And uh, man, I, I went to youth group here. I got baptized here. Uh, my, my wife and I got married by Pastor Chris. Uh, we lived in a house that was sitting on this property um, before it got bulldozed to make room for this building in this parking lot. Um, I'm still a little salty about that, but it's all good. I, I wanted to take a second really quick before I jump in today, um, just to say thank you. Um, many of you don't really know the story about how um, Hope Community Church and Concord came to be, but let me just say this. If you're someone that gives financially to support this church, you had a huge role in playing uh, in making sure that there was a church in New Hampshire where right now about 80 people are meeting. And I just want to say, 14 people got baptized two weeks ago. And if you give and you support this church, I want you to know you had something to do with that. Right? That's a big deal. God is doing some amazing things in the north. And uh, I really think we're just getting started. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Give yourselves a hand for being a generous church. Really just the beginning. So today, I, I have the honor of wrapping up a series that we have been in for the last 12 weeks uh, called Tug of War. And this series has really been about the tension that we can feel in ourselves as believers as we live in a culture and in a world that is increasingly uh, godless, moving away from uh, godly values. You know, as a believer, you... When you come into the world, you're kind of inundated with how to think and what to do. And you, you get taught things by school. You get taught things by media. You get taught things by your parents. And the, and the whole world is kind of putting these values out there and saying, this is what you should think and you should do and what you believe. And as a believer, sometimes we, we feel that tension in us as we read God's word and we start to get familiar with his plan for our lives. And we go, wait a second, so much of what the culture says about these things, God says something completely different. And so this, this tug of war is really, how do we live that out? How do we flesh it out in our lives? And in a culture in a world where people are losing a sense of identity, losing a sense of morality, and moreover, they don't live with a sense of purpose. Those people oftentimes find themselves coming into the church looking for answers to those questions. And maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been wrestling with those sort of questions in your life. So we've been on this journey discussing over the last 12 weeks the, the topics of origin and identity, meaning, morality, and destiny. And last week we kicked off uh, the conversation on uh, eternity and destiny. What happens when we die? So many people don't know. The culture tells us different things. Some people think that when we die, we just end up as worm food. Others, others think that when you die, you, you come back as a spirit and you get to help those that you love and, and haunt those that you don't like, right? Like your mother-in-law, right? You just come back and just 
You know, some people think you die and you come back as something else, maybe like a, like a pineapple tree or something, right? Or, or an ant, you know, who knows? But one thing we know for sure is that Jesus had a lot to say about eternity. In fact, he, he had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. That's who we talked about last week. And he told Nicodemus that one day we're going to close our eyes on this earth and we're going to stand before God. And we're going to have to give an account to him. But, but if we have faith in Christ, that God sent him to the world, that he died on the cross for us, that we would have eternal life. And if we don't have that faith, then we will ex- spend eternity separated from God. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus. So last week we quoted some statistics. We talked about whole, how over the course of the last 20 years, there's been like a 20% decrease in the number of Americans that even believe there's such thing as a heaven and hell. So less and less people have a biblical worldview, a worldview that, that tells us that there is a heaven that we can attain and a hell that we should shun. And, and here's my contention today. My contention is that how we think about eternity and what we think about it drives our everyday decisions. It informs our motivations and it ultimately determines how we live out this life. How we respond to difficulty in life's circumstances. So we're going to explore that together today. And if you're ready, look at your neighbor and say, I'm as ready as you look. (laughs) Some of you are like, pastor, they're not ready. They are not ready this morning. Now, if you would do me the favor, if you could, I'm going to have everybody stand on your feet. This is a, uh, something we do here at Hope Community Church. We're getting ready to read the scripture, and in honor of reading God's word, we just want to prepare our hearts, get in the right place if we can. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through chapter 5, verse 11. So a little chunk. Stay in there with me. I'm reading from the ESV. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can do that, but I think they're going to have it up on the screen here. So it says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the, for, to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Let's take a second and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would change our perspective. Give us a vision of eternity, God. Help it to be something that drives our everyday decisions, our motives, dear God, to live a holy life and to persuade others into your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So what we just read here was uh, written by a guy named Saul of Tarsus, also known as the Apostle Paul. And this is actually a letter that he sent a a second letter to a church that was established about uh, a year or so prior in the ancient city of Corinth. And he sends this letter, and and in chapter 4, he starts talking about all of his struggles, the the affliction that he's kind of endured, and and the affliction that uh, his other companions endured with him. And he talks in one of his other letters about how he had been beaten and and left in the cold, how he had uh, been shipwrecked and struggled for the sake of the gospel, all because really he preached Jesus. He seemed to be consistently at the point of death because of the gospel. So what we see in the verses that we just read is the Apostle Paul is painting a picture of how he and his colleagues endured that level of difficulty and continued to persuade people in the validity of following Jesus. So he's not just saying, listen, we're suffering and we have this hope. He's saying, listen, we, we go through these things, but we're still, we're still preaching Jesus and convincing people to come follow Jesus too, even in the midst of our suffering. That's kind of crazy to think about because these people were being martyred for their faith. They were being persecuted by religious leaders. How was he and the other disciples able to endure that suffering, and say the type of things that he said. I mean, many of us, we have an awful day if our Starbucks order comes back wrong, right? 
You're like, I ordered a triple venti with no with soy and no foam. Why is there foam? Whole day just completely ruined right there. I have a life philosophy, and I've learned this over the years, and the people of Concord have heard me say this before, but it might be new to you. And it's this. Whatever you focus on magnifies. Whatever you focus on magnifies. I have a daughter, Lily. She's 10 years old. And I remember we took her to a theme park up in New Hampshire. And uh, it's cool. It's kind of like a little mini Disney. And they had one of those, those like mirrors that you walk by. And you know when you walk by them, like it, it does really weird things to your body. So I thought it would kind of be funny when we walk by this thing to take her by surprise. So we walk by and I see like her head's like really big and she's got a tiny body. And she, she was younger when we took her there. And I was just like, Lily, what happened to your head? And she turns, she's like, just like freaking out, right? And I'm just like, oh. So then she starts figuring out, oh, okay, wait, it's the mirror. I didn't get stung by a bee or something. So, so she's like looking in the mirror and, 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 and you know, as she kind of focuses in and she gets closer, like her head would get bigger. So then she would like put her belly out and her belly would get all big, you know what I mean? And you know, you're looking more like daddy like that, Lil. And so, and so, and so she's looking at this and, and this, this image, this thing's kind of magnifying and it's distorting her image of herself. And my, my contention is, is that, that life is kind of like that. It's like a, it's like that glass or maybe like a magnifying glass, right? Where, where whatever you choose to focus on swells up. It gets big. It magnifies and it takes up our view. And I think that that's how most people deal with life. They're so focused on certain things that it skews their perception of the reality around them. And those things become much bigger than God ever intended. For them to be in our life. For Paul, he understood this. That perseverance is dependent on our view of eternity. Our ability to make it through life and the difficult circumstances that we go through hangs on how we view eternity. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look into, as we look to the things that are seen, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is eternal. So he's saying, listen, we don't lose heart. We get into these difficult situations and circumstances where we're being persecuted for the gospel, but we're not getting discouraged by that. Paul understood and he embraced eternity. He had a vision of the afterlife, of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what would happen when we pass from this life to the next, which is why he said in verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to what is unseen. So many of us get distracted by what's in front of us, And our life becomes consumed with that thing that we can't see the bigger picture. Now, Paul had a pretty interesting perspective because he got a glimpse into eternity. He had an opportunity to actually see heaven. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, that Paul says, "I, I know a man who in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. All I know 
That thi- and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He's saying, listen, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, God took me to heaven, and I got to see it, and I'm telling you, it is so amazing. I can't even begin to describe it to you. It's that incredible. So that experience helped to shape Paul and his willingness to go through suffering in this life, knowing what was waiting for him on the other side. He knew where he was going when it was all over. Coming back to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, let's dig in a little bit here. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He goes on to say, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So he's saying, listen, he's here describing those of us that are alive, man, we're, we're being handed over to be persecuted, to be imprisoned, to be killed. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure is hope, hope for eternity, hope for the life after. And he says, and he talks about jars of clay. Jar clays aren't meant to last long. They're temporary. So he's speaking of his body as a jar of clay. He's saying we have this hope in, in, in these jars of clay, something that's not meant to last forever. But one day we will get to be with God. But because we have this hope, when these bad things happen to us, we're not perplexed when it happens. We're not crushed. We're not broken down. We're not forsaken. God knows where we're going, and so do we. Paul intimately knew what it was to suffer, and yet he was not deterred. He stayed focused. He had a perspective and vision of eternity in front of him that kept him focused and ready to spread the gospel at any moment. Now, I want to be really clear here. I don't want us to make the mistake of trying to compare our suffering with the Apostle Paul's. There is nothing in our life right now that that we got going on that, that that man experienced, okay? I mean, Paul repeatedly faced death for the sake of the gospel, and yet he wasn't perplexed. He wasn't confused about where he was going and what he was doing. But for us in the modern Western church, we have to wake up to the fact that that we don't have the same perspective of eternity that Paul had oftentimes. Many people in the West have these distorted images of life that they're blinded by, where they chase money, they chase stature, they chase recognition, they chase addictions, they chase transient things, because our view of Christ and eternity that he has prepared for us has gotten, gotten diminished. It's left us with an inability to endure any type of hardship, much less any real threat of death. Many of us aren't even looking forward to eternity. Instead, eternity's become a necessary alternative to a life that if we're honest, we just don't want to leave. We fight every day to stay long, as long as we can on this earth. And when someone that in Christ dies, we ask God, why? We We don't have persecution in this country, thank God. 
You know, when's the last time someone knocked on your door? Are you a Christian? Yes, come with me. But you know, in China and in other countries in the world right now, it is, that, that's what happens. They live every day with the threat of someone knocking on their door and throwing them into prison or something worse. So how much more should we in America be able to handle the lighter afflictions that we experience in light of eternity that God has promised us? We don't experience even half of what many other brothers and sisters in the faith throughout the world experience. But yet they go through those difficult things in life with an unwavering sense of hope and even joy. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying in light of the fact that we have eternity to look forward to, we can always be of good courage. You get that? We have eternity to look forward to so we can always be of good courage. We can be in a good mood, have a good attitude about what we're going through in life, no matter how difficult, because we know we have an eternity that's waiting for us on the other side with God. How true is that, even in our case? None of us will probably ever have to worry about giving up our life for the sake of Jesus. And these people that he was writing to were suffering real and dangerous circumstances for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, we're always of good courage. What you focus on magnifies. What you focus on magnifies. What you focus on magnifies. You want your life to be run down. You want to feel hopeless. You want your problems in your life to, to wreck you to seem so huge that it distorts your vision and your ability to see what God has for you, then focus on your problems. Focus on them and they will magnify. But if you want those things to shrink, to go down to their proper perspective, to what they really look like compared to an infinite God, then I might suggest that you begin to shift your attention and your focus away from those problems and start shifting it to the answer to those problems, amen? Jesus, because when you shift your focus to him, man, you start to realize how big he really is. You don't even need a magnifying glass to make him big. We serve the God that spoke and breathed the universe into existence. That's a big God. Amen. That's a big God. So it's the hope of eternity that we have with him where there's no longer any death, no longer any suffering. No sin, no confusion, no loneliness, no pain. It's, a, it's an eternity where you'll be loved and cherished, respected and honored. And Paul had this, this attitude that was kind of like, you can keep this world. Stay here as long as you want, if you want to. But for me, this is just a pit stop for me on the way to eternity with Jesus. And there ain't nothing in this world that's worth me hanging on to to prevent me from going to him. 
That was Paul's attitude, and that's what he was writing to the church. Understand, people, God is trying to help us to understand through these scriptures the temporary nature of this body and this life. Just shooting through a couple of these scriptures real quickly just to, to, to nail in the point here. 4, seven, 2 Corinthians 4, seven. We have these treasures in jars of clay, right? Temporary. Paul's talking temporary, right? 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's trying to shift our focus from this life. And the things that we constantly get wrapped up in and worried about to an eternal perspective. Our tug of war that we have to fight with on a daily basis is the deception that this life is all that there is. And that we need to try to live here forever. But we all know as we look at one another that this isn't meant to last. This body is wasting away. Some of y'all got back pain right now for no reason. You just woke up at 40 years old. Everything hurts. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all downhill from here. But listen, in all seriousness, our bodies exist in a fallen world. And while they deteriorate for the church, that should not be something that discourages us. We should embrace our eventual transition into eternity. So Paul says, while it's true, our bodies are wasting away. Our spirit is renewed day by day. You can be in the most difficult of life's circumstances, going through physical pain even, and have a hope and expectation of eternity that gives you a joy that is unexplainable. I've watched people go through some of the most difficult things in life, suffering with smiles on their faces. And let me tell you something, you cannot fake that. The only way that happens is when you have a relationship with the Lord and a focus on eternity that is so magnified that everything else pales in comparison. Even your own suffering, your own pain. Paul said it like this in verse 8, chapter 5. Yes, we're of good courage, for we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's saying, man, to be honest, to be frank with you, I'd rather die and be with Jesus. I would rather be there. We know, though, that that to, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our view of eternity determines whether we look forward to that transition or we try to escape it altogether. The truth is, though, it also determines the way that we grieve those that experience the death of this body. In his letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says this to the Christians who are mourning the death of believers that have been martyred for their faith. He says these words, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve As others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's that word again, right? Paul's saying, look, we're never lacking courage. And he says, so you know that we have an eternity to look forward to? The fact that one day that sky is going to crack open and Jesus himself will descend with a voice, a loud trumpet, and the voice of an archangel. And the dead in Christ will be raised from the grave. Their spirits will reunite with our bodies and we who are alive will be changed and given an immortal body body just like Jesus is. We'll have eternity with him. He says, encourage one another with these words. There's an encouragement in the knowledge that death for a Christian doesn't have the last say. Some of you are mad right now because God took home somebody that you love. Can I tell you something? They're doing way better than you are right now. If you were to ask them if they wanted to come back, they would say, are you crazy? Why do you want to stay there so long? It is popping up here. I'm trying to go back down to that mess. I want to be clear here. This life truly is a gift. God has given it to us because we get to experience so much of God's beauty and his kindness and his gifts to us. But this world is not the end-all, be-all of our existence. You will live longer in the next life than you ever did here. This life is like a drop of water in an ocean of eternity. And this is the message that changed the world in the first century. People were suffering badly back then for the sake of the gospel when Paul was writing this. And this message gave people hope. And I want to say that, that, yes, there are people that are suffering today, every day. And we have the opportunity to share hope with people by living this out in a way that is attractive to the world. To the person that looks at Christianity and say, says, why do you pray? Why do you go to church? Why do you give like that? Why do you live your life in this way? And it's because when something happens for a believer whose focus is on Jesus, we don't get devastated by the suffering that happens in this world. We're not broken. We're not destroyed. We're not dismayed because we, our focus and attention is on Jesus not on the temporary. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up on stage if they could. Not only should eternity be our motivation for living a holy life, because the fact that Paul says, listen, we're going to stand in judgment one day. We're going to be judged for everything that was done in this body, whether good or evil. Not only should it be our motivation to live a holy life, but eternity should determine our message that we share to others, to the rest of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 11, Paul says, I'm just going to hone in on this again. 
We're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. He's saying, well, whether I'm at home, whether I'm in this body on this earth, or I'm in eternity, my aim is to please God. I want to live in a way that pleases God. You know God can never love you any more than he possibly loves you right now. And he could never love you any less. But how pleased he is with you is totally in your control. I want to live in a way that pleases him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen to this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. He's saying, listen, you should have such a reverence, such an awe for who God is. The fact that one day we're all going to give an account to him. It should motivate you to live a holy life, and it should motivate you to persuade others too. Tell others about Jesus. Live your life in a way that people would look at and go, what do they got going on? Because I need some of that in my life. We can look forward to eternity with God and persuade others. This was the great motivator for Paul. Paul reminds us that that there will be an accounting for what we've done on this earth. He had this eternal hope that kept him from being overwhelmed, that kept kept him from being helpless because he he knew he would give an account and it motivated him to tell others about Christ, to make disciples Paul's life was a constant form of persuasion. He was constantly, as he went through those life difficulties, everything hard that he went through, that he overcame, every trial, every beating that he took for the name of Jesus, spending nights out on the sea, being persecuted, everything that he did when people looked at them and they saw the the joy by which he lived his life, when they heard his words and his talk of eternity, it was persuading others to join in as well. How amazing is that? That people could see that persecution and go, sign me up. Sign me up for that. Because I don't know how he's going through that with, a, with, a, with hope and joy. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that you would be persuaded. That you would leave here focused, not on transient things, not getting distracted by every momentary affliction, having a woe is me mentality, but that you wake up every day with a sense of hope and purpose, knowing that you can endure no matter how hard it is, whatever affliction comes your way, that affliction will be a reminder that this life is temporary, that God has something greater in store for you. When you live with an eternity in your heart, it, it changes how you act. It changes how you think. It changes how you treat people. It changes how the world sees us and how it sees Jesus. The world needs hope. 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 But what you focus on magnifies. What you focus on will magnify. 
I want to take a second real quick and and I want to address those that, that are suffering right now. Some of you are really going through it right now. You got it bad. You've experienced a loss, pain, suffering. And my message to you No matter what it is you're going through, maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks and you're like, how is it ever going to get better? You're not lost. You're not helpless. This isn't the end. It's not over for you. You've been given a hope in Christ that can motivate you in the darkest trials, in the worst of pain, in the hardest of suffering. A hope that's meant to endure. That the world could look at and be inspired by. There's hope in eternity with God. And you can begin that journey right here and right now. Some of us need to take our focus off the troubles and put them on Jesus. Some of us need to start trusting in God again, amen. Some of us need to believe in eternity again, amen to believe that there's something greater for us so whatever you focus on magnifies some of us need to let go of that thing that we've been holding on to for so long holding it up to our face it's blinding us and put that thing down at the altar at the feet of Jesus and say God here I am I give it all to you I give you everything God I surrender fill my heart fill my heart with a vision of eternity God allow me to see what you see Allow me to know, dear God, that that whatever I go through in this life, it pales in comparison to what you have stored up for me. Amen? 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 Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We, We seek you, God. We ask your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, God, with a vision of eternity. We come before you, God. Some of us need to repent because we've been caught up for too long focusing on things that don't matter give us a vision of eternity God help us to focus on you be magnified oh God be magnified in our sight oh God allow you to just completely overwhelm everything we got going on and as we do that we put our trust in you I pray God that you would change our hearts You would transform our minds. You would fix our marriages. You would break the chains of addictions in people's life right now, dear God. We pray over those addictions. We pray over those broken marriages. And we speak life into them, God. We prophesy life and health, dear God, over over that brokenness. We speak against everything that would come against the body of Christ that would distract us. Against anxiety, against depression. And we declare freedom over the life, dear God. That Jesus has come to set you free. In the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. We have a choice today to leave here with the same perspective that we had when we came or to leave here with a renewed mind. And my prayer is that you would be renewed every day with a proper perspective of eternity. Amen.
Amen. Hope Community Church, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. God bless you guys. We will see you guys next week. Bring a friend. Bring someone to church. Show the light of Jesus today. Amen.